Well, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about what makes our faith grow. What makes your faith grow? What makes your faith stronger? Hearing and doing God's word to us, disciplining ourselves with, with spiritual habits, serving in kingdom work and staying connected with intentional relationships. Those things are all extremely vital to a growing faith. And, and having all of those elements present in our lives is, is expected if we want our faith to be a growing faith. And if we're not doing those things, we, we certainly can't be surprised if our faith is, is somewhat stagnant or even in an apathetic condition. If you find yourself bored with your spiritual life, I would encourage you to go back and maybe listen to each part of this series up to this point and really ask yourself what you need to do to change, evaluate what changes you need to make. But this fifth element that we haven't yet discussed in this series is, is one that is so incredibly important to our walk as a believer. This fifth element is something that we can plan on experiencing. You can, you can plan on experiencing this element at some point in your Christian life, yet, yet we may all be at different points in our Christian life when we experience this. And what we're going to talk about this morning, some of you could, could communicate much better than I could this morning. Your faith has never been stronger. That this, this, this circumstance that we're gonna talk about this morning grew you in ways that you would have never chosen, but looking back, you can see how God used it in your heart and in your mind and ultimately in how you live your life. But some of you could raise your hand this morning if I asked, and, and you would admit that this last thing, this fifth thing, this circumstance that we're going to talk about, it wrecked you. That you were not ready for it, and you, you were not spiritually prepared, and your faith has never been the same. That you can do all the things that we've talked about in this series up to this point. You can do all of those things, and, and please do. These things are extremely important because they absolutely need to be present in your life as a believer. But you can do all of those things and miss this last one, and it could have devastating results. The brother of Jesus, James, he says in his letter, which we're gonna to get to in just a few minutes, but he says, when you face trials. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, he encountered many different trials as a leader in the early church. He ultimately would give his life for the cause of Christ. He'd be thrown off of a building and he would be beat to death for following Jesus. So when you face trials is a really important statement coming from someone who faced significant trials. This statement seems to indicate that we should expect to encounter hardship, trials, difficult circumstances, and even deep pain. And here's an important question that I think each and every one of us need to, need to ask ourselves this morning, and that is this, is how do you respond when life takes you by surprise? How do you respond when life takes you by surprise? 
when life disappoints you. And if I could be so bold to say, when God disappoints you. Do you say things like, do you do, you do things like calling, calling a friend, someone that you can trust? Do you, is that maybe your first response when, when something takes you by surprise? Or maybe you just, you're like me, and you love to pretend that nothing has ever happened. That's my response to a lot of things, not just hardships and trials. Maybe you just hide it out in your bedroom, or you just hide away from the people that you love. Or maybe, maybe you have some words come to mind that even come out that you can't even say in church today. Those are all real responses, real things, real emotions. But here's an even bigger question for us this morning. And I hope you've had your coffee and and that you're ready for this question. We've all thought about this question. We've heard this question. We've seen this question debated before. And that is why do bad things happen to us? If we who have decided to follow Jesus, we've put our faith and trust in him, we've abandoned our dreams in many cases to follow Jesus, if we have a good God who we can trust and who says that he loves us, why would he allow us to experience pain? And not just little insignificant moments, but the deep, hurtful pain. If God has the ability, if he is all-powerful, if he's stronger than anything on this planet, and he has the ability to create us and breathe life into us, and he has the ability to protect us from pain, why doesn't he? These are real questions that we ask. And ultimately, the real question that we're asking that is sometimes unstated is this. Can God really be trusted if he allows bad things to happen to me? Can he be trusted? Some of you are asking yourself that question, even in this very moment. Or you've asked yourself that question at some point in your life. I've been through some pain in my life where I've had to choose to trust God, but I'll be honest, and I will admit that excluding some very painful seasons like 2020, I have, I have not buried people I love unexpectedly. I have not faced any terminal disease in my family, and the pain that, that I've generally encountered, encountered, it doesn't compare to what some of you have walked through. And I have to keep my mind, I have to, I have to keep in my mind that that day may come for me, and I may have to walk in your shoes at some point. But one of the benefits of spending over 15 years in ministry is that I've had the ability to see many Christians walk through indescribable trials, and I've had the opportunity to watch how they have responded during those seasons. I remember one of my, one of my very first hospital calls as a full-time staff pastor at a previous church. I want to tell you the story about Jenny. Jenny was a single mom who had come to our church about a year prior to this event that I'm getting ready to share with you. Jenny's husband had abandoned her and her two twin children and ran off with another lady. And she was working two full-time jobs to make ends meet. Jenny showed up at our church and she gave her life to Jesus. She was saved. And she was ultimately just so on fire for Jesus. 
But I remember the, one of the last weekends, it was either the last weekend or the second to last weekend in May of 2008. I remember I got a phone call. Brittany actually received a phone call from a lady in our church who worked in the emergency room at Galleon Community Hospital. And she said, Brittany, I, don't, I can't get a hold of, uh, of Pastor Monty, who was our senior pastor. I can't get a hold of Matt. I don't, I don't know, but there's been a situation with a lady at our church and she, she just needs someone. And so I was the only pastor available to go. And so I jumped in my car and I had no idea what had happened. She just said, there's been an accident and the family needs you. And so I go to the emergency room, not sure as to what I'm going to see or experience. And in and, and many cases, it was my worst fear. As I walked into that hospital room, I see Jenny holding the body of her lifeless daughter, Kayla. And so I walk over to the emergency room counter and I, I, I talk to the lady who had made the phone call and I said, what happened? I've got to know what happened before I walk over here. And there had been a moment where since Jenny was working two full-time jobs, she was a correctional officer at one of the, uh, one of the, the jails in Marion, Ohio. And so she had gotten off work at, at about three o'clock and she came home. And she put Kayla and Caleb, who were twins, down for a nap. And she thought, it's a perfect opportunity for me to take a nap. And so they slept. And a couple hours later, she's awakened by the knock at a door from a local police officer. And he says, hey, there's been an accident. And there are two kids who have gotten into the neighbor's pool. We don't know who they belong to. Would you be able to come and maybe identify who these kids belong to? And she's like, sure, my kids are taking a nap. And so she walks over to identify her two children on the deck of this pool. And so that's a little backstory as to what brought me to this hospital room. And so there Jenny is holding Kayla. And so I walk over and do what only you can do in that moment, and I just hug her. There's no theology moment, there's no theology lesson in a moment like that. Just love, care, concern. And I'll always remember her at that funeral as she picked up that baby out of that casket. I've never seen that before. And she held Kayla in her arms one last time on this earth and walked away broken, but she held her head high. Within five days, Caleb, her twin brother, would also pass away. In fact, this for his funeral dinner, she came to Brittany, who was in the church kitchen preparing food. And Tate, my 13-year-old son, was just a few months old at that time, and she wanted to take him around and show him off. These are moments that are just ingrained in my memory. I feel like I actually walked away more shattered than she did. She went on in future years to get remarried and have another baby, and she tells everyone that she's never had a stronger faith. And I ask myself this question. How did this single mom, who was, who was kind of a mess, to be honest, make it through to the other side whole? She said many times at ladies' retreats and gatherings that she would speak at that she just simply chose to trust Jesus each and every day. She just chose to trust, and that was it. 
It didn't eliminate the pain. It didn't eliminate the struggle. She just simply chose that Jesus was going to be enough and that he was going to get her through. And he proved himself faithful over and over and over again. She didn't quit. She didn't give up. That's just one story, but I've seen so many times families with loved ones on their deathbeds with indescribable peace, knowing that they would be saying goodbye, but not goodbye forever. I've seen that person dying with that peace that passes all understanding, knowing that they would be waking up in heaven. I've seen people with health scares beat cancer, lose their battle with cancer, bury children, lose homes, watch their adult children turn their back on Jesus, all while exhibiting a strong faith while they clung to our Savior the entire way. And I have stored those memories up in my mind and in my heart, and I've learned so much from watching them. You see, sometimes we can use other people's painful experiences to make our own determination about God's goodness. We watch someone go through something and and we foolishly decide that that we, we should get to use that to choose what we then believe about God. And I think that's I think that's wrong. That if you are struggling to believe that God is good today, it might be a good idea to talk to someone who has experienced pain and suffering to see how they maintained such a strong faith during those trials. Now, stay with me for just a moment, because this gets into the weeds of philosophy just a bit, but this is important. Sometimes things happen to us because God allows those things to happen to us. But sometimes, God is causing those things to happen. Now, here's the worst news that I have for you as I, as I lay those two things out this morning, this idea of God allowing and God causing. And here's, here's, here's the good and the bad news, depending on if you're a half glass empty or a glass half full kind of guy. And that is this. Most often, we will never know which of the two are actually happening. Let me explain how I believe that this is biblical thinking. Just think about some of the characters in our Bibles, like Job. God allowed the things that happened to Job to happen to Job. But then, trace up to the New Testament with Mary and Joseph. God didn't just allow those things to happen to Mary and Joseph. He caused those things to happen to Mary and Joseph. Mary didn't get to choose whether or not she wanted to bring the Savior of the universe into this world. God chose her for that specific circumstance. Yet the Bible does not communicate to us the emotional pain that we absolutely know that she experienced. The potential family drama that that had to have taken place you see, our storybook Bibles, they, they tend to paint this message that everything was beautiful and everything was, was wonderful. And we know that can't be the case. The social judgment that she felt, that Joseph felt, the sinful responses that people may have had that, that would be an example you know, of what God saw fit to allow in Mary's life, possibly using it for good to strengthen her character. All of those things could be discussed underneath of the storyline of Mary and Joseph. We could add people like Jeremiah, Elijah, and so many others to this list. 
And so whether the pain we experience is something that God did not cause but allows in our lives like someone's sinful actions against us or whether it is something that God caused and did purposefully, it doesn't really matter. This side of heaven, we may never know and likely could never understand with our human minds what God is doing. Yet I would submit that our responses to that pain should be the same regardless of whether or not we know God's heart and God's motive. That if we decided that we can, we can trust that God is good, then we don't have to know the answer to every question that we have in order to maintain a strong faith while we walk through pain. So if you have a Bible, if you would, look at James 1. James 1 is, is a challenging chapter in our New Testament. But as I mentioned earlier, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and, and he, was a, he was a wonderful pastor, a wonderful leader. But he communicates some things that are challenging here, and here's what we know. In those moments that we've just kind of highlighted in these trials that we experience, here's what happens. Some people lean into God, and some people turn away from him. And maybe, that is, maybe that's your story. Maybe that's how you would identify your response to hardship and pain and trial. You, you, you didn't lean into your relationship with Jesus. You, you turned away from him and you went the other direction. And that's, that is, that's almost always the response. And then there's sometimes the, the in-between stage, the in-between phases of turning to him and turning away from him. But when something painful happens or when you face trials, are you a person who runs toward God or are you a person that turns or runs away from him? And what causes either response? If you run toward God, is it because your faith has grown and you've studied what God says about his character and you've had practice leaning on him in your trials? Or if you run away from God, is it because you wrongly believed that you wouldn't encounter pain, that you hadn't already learned what God says about his goodness, or that you didn't choose before the trial that you would follow him no matter what. Really what we're going to talk about today is this, this topic of divine circumstances. That he does good things, and, and we, can, we know the good things that he does in our lives. We know the good things that he's doing around us, so we're going to talk about the trials, the not-so-good things that he does. The best working definition of a divine circumstance is God's working, which we don't understand and cannot explain. It's God's working, which we don't understand and cannot explain. It's God's work, we get to witness it. So if you would, look at James 1, verse 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Would you say that out loud with me? Count it, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Does that make you feel any better about trials? Probably not. But it seems that James is telling us that it is possible to have joy during hard times. That we can have joy in our trials, but how, how does this happen? How can this happen? 
And this has likely gotten people tripped up since the moment that it was written. I bet someone in this church who was hearing these words from James, they probably asked that question, like what in the world is he trying to communicate? How can we walk through the deep kind of pain that, that others have walked through and still be joyful? How can we do that? Well, we have to acknowledge here the difference between joy and happiness. That joy in Christ is a state of being, whereas happiness is a temporary emotion. There's no way we could or should try to feel happiness as we grieve or as we try to navigate a hard season, a trial, or a tragedy. Yet, we can feel joy that comes through Christ knowing that he is with us and that he is with us in our pain as we feel the Spirit's comfort. We talked about that several weeks ago in our Something Greater series. We have seen that the Christian life is not a life that is free of trouble. And if anyone has ever told you that, you need to really be careful about their influence in your life. Because the Christian life is not a pain-free life. Jesus actually told us, he told his disciples to expect trouble. And I think it would be wise to memorize John 16, verse 33, where Jesus tells his disciples, he's already listed all the stuff that is probably going to happen to them. And he says, in this life, you will, or uh, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Because in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. So if you think, or if anyone has ever told you that the Christian life, that following Jesus meant you wouldn't have pain, they lied to you. Just ask the Apostle Paul. We talk about him a lot. He wrote 13 of our, of our books or letters in the New Testament. He did not live a life free of pain. God actually promised that he would endure pain for being one of his apostles. Paul writes about his experience in 2 Corinthians 11 where he talks about how he was, he was beaten with rods several times. He was, he was stoned with rocks over and over again. He was shipwrecked and he spent a couple of days adrift at sea. I mean, this guy did not have this walk in the park kind of relationship with Jesus. He was in jail over and over again and we don't even have recorded all of the times that he may have experienced pain for the cause of Christ. I think the majority of the disciples experienced pain, hardship, and even death for following Jesus. Jesus endured trials. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus being tempted by our enemy, Satan. And there were several different attacks on Jesus during that account. And I would encourage you to read Matthew 4 sometime and just get a glimpse into the pain and the pressure that Jesus must have been under. The moment where he is, he is betrayed, all of the beatings that he took, the own, the own burden that he carried in his own heart, in his mind, the anxiety that he experienced as he was waiting to go to the cross, sweating drops of blood, uh, the cross itself, dying and taking on the sins of this world. Jesus knows, he feels, and he understands pain. Jesus knows, feels, and he understands your pain this morning. And I think some of you need to know that. 
And some of you need to be reminded of that. Jesus gets us. Verse 3 continues, For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or a better word here would have been perseverance. And some translations use that word. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Another pastor said this, We don't know what we actually believe until what we believe has been tested. We don't know what we actually believe until what we believe has been tested. Greg Laurie said, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So we know that this testing will come and it will produce something in us. Our trials, they can produce a stronger faith. You see, trials, they they test our faith. Trials test our confidence in the God that we follow and the God that we serve. And the goal of these tests is that word perseverance or steadfastness. The testing of our faith produces those things. Trials can create something good. They can create something positive. We have to see it through to the other side. Verse four says, and let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, perseverance develops spiritual maturity. When we persevere, it produces something. We will lack nothing. We will be complete. And someday we might come back to this text and spend several weeks just on these, these two or three verses right here at the beginning of James. But what all of this boils down to is what we talked about early on in this message. And that's an issue of trust. Because if we want our faith to grow, we have to trust him. If we want our faith to grow, we have to trust him. We all know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. It says to trust in the heart, in God's heart with all of your, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's not that one. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your understanding. There we go. And <laughs> in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I trip up on that verse because I have it memorized in like six different versions. You see, when we trust him, we can have peace. When we submit our heart to him, we can have peace. As you all read earlier in Isaiah 26, he says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So how can we have peace during pain? with our loved one on their deathbed, with, while our car is being towed away, while we wait to hear if our child has cancer? How do we have faith in those seasons? Comes back to that issue of trust. It's a decision that we make. We decide to trust him no matter what, and we set our minds on him, as Paul tells us to do in Colossians 3. You see, God keeps in perfect peace the mind that is stayed, that is focused on him. This peace, though, that I'm talking about, it doesn't mean that we don't hurt. 
It doesn't mean that we cannot grieve, wail, cry our eyes out every single day while we're walking through this, this hardship and this trauma. But what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a contentment. It's an awareness that we are held in his hands, that he is in control whether we want to believe it or not, and he holds all things together. It's that in those moments where we're asking those questions of can he be trusted? Why would he do this to me? Why would he allow this to, to happen to my family? It's in those moments of trust that make all the difference when it comes to our faith. We have to choose to trust him. But we also have to make a decision to trust him sometimes, all times, before the trials even come. And don't misunderstand this, this statement of trusting him before the trials come. This isn't a trust that things are gonna work out the way that we want them to work out. This is just one of the reasons why, if you've heard of the prosperity gospel, why it is so wrong, because it builds people's faith up on the guarantee that God is going to answer their every prayer in the way that they humanly want it to be answered. It teaches that trusting God means trusting that he will always come through with what you want. No, this trust that I'm talking about, the trust that the Bible clearly calls each and every one of us to, isn't a trust that God is going to protect us from pain. It's not a, 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 a trust that he's going to keep our loved ones alive or he's gonna, he's gonna cause those tests to come back negative. This is a trust. This is us choosing to trust that he's good and that his character can be trusted no matter what comes our way. This is holding on to the unwavering knowledge that he will never allow anything into our lives that he cannot use for our good and for his glory, as Paul writes in Romans 8. He uses all things whether he allows them or causes them. Even when we can't understand why, even when we are grieving, and even when we cry out to God and ask all the hard questions that he can handle, by the way. And at the end of it all, we can trust what he says, that he is good and that he loves us. And if we believe history, and if we believe what the scriptures teach us, we know that he's good and that he loves us because he came to us in the person of Jesus. And he encountered tremendous pain to pay the price for our sin, to offer us life, and to give us a reason to live, a reason to persevere, and a reason to trust. You see, even when the things happening to us feel anything less than loving, it takes new eyes, it takes eternal eyes, a humility of ourselves to see that our limited human perspective may not be giving us all of the facts. That what we feel is not the full story. That there is more going on than what we can even see and even understand and by all means comprehend. And that's why that response from Isaiah 26 verse 4 is so important. 
because he says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You see, God will keep your mind in perfect peace when you trust in him. Perfect peace in trials comes with perfect trust. It's a choice. It's a choice that you have to make, that I have to make. It's, it's a decision. It's, it's a decision that we make. It's, it's we have to choose and we have to decide to trust him. So the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Not does the person sitting next to you trust him, but do you trust him? And maybe you're here this morning and, and maybe you're, you're, you're new to the faith. Maybe you're here and you're here and you really don't want to be here because you don't trust him. You've experienced all these things and, and maybe, you, you just, maybe you, you're struggling to, to, to connect all of the dots and you're just not sure what you're going to believe. Will you consider the decision of trusting him today? Will you lean into and not away from him today? And I hope that you will lean into. I hope that you will trust him. Because if we want our faith to grow, it will require trust. I really pray and hope that this series has opened your eyes to some things that you need to do. Some areas that you need to grow because the main question that we've been asking in this series is what makes our faith grow? That what makes your faith grow when you look around this room and you see people sitting in this room and we've all experienced our own unique circumstances and situations. What has made those people's faith so strong? And these things that we've talked about, that we've observed and we've learned together are present. And if we want our faith to grow, we have to do something with what we know. We have to commit to spiritual habits. We have to be a servant. We have to live life connected and we have to trust him. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that we need to hear and we need to do his word. We want you to know the truth. We also want you to do something with it. We want you to commit to spiritual habits like being in the Bible, having a, a spirit of, of prayer and giving, and having a lifestyle of worship. We want you to be a servant because your spiritual gifts are developed when you serve and you experience joy. You see the church united, your faith will grow, and your soul will be filled when you serve. And when we live connected, we're better. When we have Jesus-centered relationships, we're better, better, but at the end of it all, we have to trust him through it all. So I hope you've been encouraged and I hope you've been challenged to further your faith in this series. So the final question that I wanna ask this morning is this, is what will you do with those five core dynamics of our faith? In what areas are you weak? In what areas are you strong? How can you encourage someone else in one of these five areas? And what will you do with your faith?
And maybe you're here this morning and you have no faith because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. This morning you can, you can make that right and you can call on him to save you. I would love to have that conversation with you. So find me at the end of the service and I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know Jesus as your savior and how you can live for him and how it makes all the difference in your life. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with your faith, trust him because he will see you through. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for the opportunity that we've had to gather together in your name to study your book, to hear your words, and to be changed by them. And so God, I pray this morning as we as we walk on this planet, as we walk in this world that is influenced by darkness, by your enemy Satan, that we have hope because we know you and that you will see us through each and every step of each and every day. So God, I pray that we would be a people who are working hard through your strength and your power to grow, that we would have a stronger faith. God, that you would receive all the honor and the glory for it. Because if there's one thing that is certain this morning, it is the simple fact that we simply need more of you. So God, I pray that you would fill us as your people with your heart, with your love, with your kindness, with your peace. God, help us to trust you because if we want our faith to grow, if we want to make it through the trials and the hardships, we're going to have to trust you. So give us a trust, give us a peace, and help us to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Don't forget to grab a bulletin. In it are a lot of different announcements and things that you need to know about. Don't forget you can give on your way out this morning or on mywhbc.com. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful week.